0: consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on patreon even one dollar can go a long way in supporting this
1: content that you enjoy look for
0: a link over at the batmanuniverse.net to offer your support now and now on with the show
1: you don't like the drake i hate the drake i
0: love the drake how could you
1: not like the drake who's the drake who's the drake the drake is good
0: Do you like the Drake?
2: I love the Drake.
0: What about the Drake? the Drake. I love the Drake. This is Cam Bowen, voice of Tim Drake on Young Justice, and you're listening to Everyone Loves the Drake.
2: Hi, this is James the IV, and I love the Drake.
1: This is George Perez, and everybody likes the Drake, especially the cakes.
2: Hi, this is Mark Wolfman, and everyone loves the Drake.
0: Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and welcome to episode 122. The show is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. And I've been saying it all year long. Robin, of course, is celebrating 80 years. And if you've been listening to the show, you've been hearing a whole plethora of guests coming in and out of the show celebrating their favorite Robin. And we're also associated with Batman on film through their podcast network, BatmanPodcastNetwork.com. So you can listen to the Batman Book Club. You can listen to Straight Out of Gotham. You can listen to this show and many other shows. So check out the BatmanUniverse.net and Batman Podcast Network for all of your Batman and Robin podcast needs. You can get a hold of us through all the social media outlets. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Everyone Loves a Drake. We're on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can check out our Instagram page. You can email in at Robin ELTD podcast. You can check out the YouTube page, which I have started doing some live videos. So that's going to be something that I would like to do with Terrence and Ryan and myself. I found a way to do a simultaneous broadcast. I know the last one I did, Terrence was trying to go, hey, let's uh, try and hop on together. And I'm like, I can't figure it out, but I think I've got it. So be on the lookout for YouTube and we'll let you know through Twitter and Facebook when our next possible live episode is and our last thing is everyone loves the drake.blogspot.com which needs to be sorely updated but that's going to be a little bit of extra content that uh, we will be able to control for the podcast and for the young justice show (sighs) now i got all that out of the way let's welcome uh, my two good friends
1: terrence and ryan back to the show terrence how you doing sir I'm doing good. And since I've already had the clinch, I know that I have the antibodies and I'm cured and I never have to worry about it again, right?
0: That's, yeah, I, I think that's how that works.
1: All right. Woo, good. That's I a load off. I yep.
0: think there may be a mayor you might want to talk to, but I'm, I'm <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Ryan, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm good.
2: And, you know, as much as I love and, uh, I'm fond of Batman Legacy. I can't wait to get back to some stories that have, like, no bearing uh, resemblance <laughs> to uh, current
0: events in the real world. <laughs> I know. Like you just heard Ryan say, we're going to be talking finally about Batman Legacy. And we'll probably say it during the show. There are multiple times I felt like I was reading a piece that was on Dateline yep. or CNN. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a little surreal if... The last time that we did the clench with Contagion... Felt a little odd. I think this one feels a little more real than the than the last one did. Yeah,
1: and if anybody's listening, you know, way in the future, you know, we're recording this. Uh, I think a day or two days after the president of the United States has been yeah. hospitalized for coronavirus. So it's yeah, it's eerie. It's crazy. It's pretty you know? nuts. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. When people we get into this the, the story, we're going to be like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Twenty years ago, people were like, oh, the mayor could never be infected, and here we are with the president in Walter read president senators
2: multiple senators
1: like it's ridiculous yeah
0: this is the moment where if i was thinking i would have loved to got had pulled chuck dixon back on the show and go, hey, remember when you said... This remember you said really,
2: this would never, never happen? This would never happen.
0: man can't fight a disease. Well, we are literally doing that, folks. So, before we make things real, let's let's get some different topics. Let's leave DC for a moment, and I think Terrence and Ryan both have a couple things I want to say before we get into the show, so let's stick, go over to the Marvel side, and uh, Terrence has got a really cool thing he was telling me uh, off mic that he's doing with his uh, daughter, so what's your dilemma?
1: Yeah, sir? I had a question for you guys, because I felt left out a couple podcasts ago when you guys were talking about the Harley Quinn cartoon or mm. animated series, Ooh. I should say, and because yeah. I, I didn't have HBO, but then we got a free trial, so my daughter who's fifteen, well, I watched. I, I I did a I, real quick because I, I I was just loving the show. I binge watched the both seasons of Harley Quinn, and then I was like, "Well, you're 15. It's kind of borderline. Eh, you know, okay, you you can watch it." So we watched the Harley Quinn. <laughs> if she can uh, handle,
2: if she if, if, if she can handle a bunch of f bombs, then yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm like, ah, eh, you know, it's really just language that is in it. There's, you know, so you can handle it. So she loved it. She loved it. But um, she had seen some of the Marvel universe. Like the Phase Three, we saw Endgame. We saw what else do we see? Uh, the Spider Man movie she loved. We watched Infinity War, so she saw some of the the end of it, but she never saw the beginning of it. She never saw anything in Phase One and Phase Two. So then we were like, um, "Well, I'm I'm ready for a rewatch," and she wants to watch it. I was like, "Yeah, let, let's watch it." Let's. But then I was like, "Well." How do I watch this with her? Do I start with the first movie made and do we go in order of production or do I go in order of chronological order and start with Captain America, the first Avenger and then go Captain Marvel in the nineties and do it in chronological. So I was curious to you guys, you know, which, which would you do? And Ryan, you may, you may have this dilemma with Nora someday because mm. I, I also had this dilemma with the Star Wars. I'm like, do I start with episode Star Wars, four yeah. with the girls or do I start with episode one? And I ended up going with order of production, not order of chronology, with Star Wars. Yeah. But I wonder what you guys would do for the Marvel Universe.
2: I think, for me, going in production release order is never a bad idea. Because that's the way that you experienced it. And even though you can, like, rearrange... I mean, if you were going to rearrange the MCU movies to be in order now, you, you would kind of start with, like you said, Captain America, but then you would go to, like, Captain Marvel, which is, like, at the end. Because it takes place before Iron Man, and and it's a little bit weird. So it makes sense, but even the the movies build on themselves, and like the post-credit scenes build on themselves. And it's like in a comic book, right? Where you read an issue and they're like, oh, but this, the other thing happened, and this other thing happened. It, It builds naturally enough to where you can retain that knowledge. And it probably will work better if you are binge watching the movies anyway versus experiencing them, you know, one or two a year like we've done. And with Star Wars, I think is the same thing. I, I've shown Nora a couple of them, in some, a couple episodes of The Mandalorian, which she loves. <laughs> and um, But I don't know. I, I still haven't decided what I'm going to do when I show those to her. I would probably do it in release order. And then, once you see it, then you can go back and do it in the
0: chronological. See, I was all ready to go the opposite side and go, yeah, show them in chronological order. The only one that I would show until Ryan said, oh the the end credit scenes that that was the cool thing seeing like, oh what was the next setup I think the only one that I would throw out of production order would be Captain America. I always thought that was if they if hindsight was 2020 and they knew this was gonna work as well as it did I really you think could show Captain, that one first yeah I think you could show Captain America that it stands on its own very well and then go right into iron man go into production order right after that so that would be my my only slight change is go captain america and then stick to production order
1: yeah we skipped incredible hulk she had she didn't really have any interest in that and so I was like so we went straight to Iron Man cuz I was really itching to see Iron Man again and then we went in production order but it's kind of fun because since she has seen Endgame and uh, Infinity War but especially Endgame she's getting all the easter eggs from Endgame but in reverse so she's like oh mm. that's why they said that then, "Oh, that as opposed to how I was in Endgame <laughs> going oh yeah and then you know like when we're watching Captain America and we're like um, you know oh he's he's talking in the taxi cab was like I'm just I just need the right partner today with and stuff and i'm like see that's why end game ended with the the dancing the dance- and they're dancing and so it's like oh okay and, and then and the whole thing with um he's like i can do this all day i'm like see that's why i remember he rolls his eyes when he says that to himself and stuff and it's the same um,
2: elevator again yeah yeah yeah
1: but the the thing that got us so last night we watched well Two, a couple nights ago, we watched Iron Man 3, which I was kind of... This is,
2: Okay, Terrence, yeah. this is why we have been unable to record podcasts with you. We keep being like, Terrence, when can you record? They're like, yeah, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't do it here. I can't do it here. But really, you're just like, yeah. I, I got to do my MCU
0: rewatch. He's in the MCU. Yep, exactly.
1: <laughs> we watched Iron Man 3, so then I'm like, oh. Robin. I was like, oh, the next one's Winter Soldier. It's so good. We watched the trailer for it. We're like, oh, yeah, Winter Soldier. So last night we were all set. We're like, yeah, we're going to watch Winter Soldier. And then she's like, no, no, no. Actually, it's Thor the Dark World that's next. And I'm like, oh, no, that's the worst one. That's the... So I was all prepared to watch the Winter Soldier last night and instead had to sit through the Thor the Dark World again. <laughs> and, oh, that thing was terrible. But uh, anyway, I, I got Winter Soldier to look forward to. Well, that's cool. I I've been thinking
0: about going through and re-watching uh, the MCU and I this would have been a wonderful opportunity with the whole quarantine going through everything, especially when You'd think. My well, that and I I've been working through all of it, but mm-hmm. when uh, my wife had her back surgery, I thought we could have gone through some of this or while she was yeah. asleep I could have binged, you know, my top my top 5 or whatever, but yeah.
2: uh, I've had like it's really dumb. I mean, I've had actually like less it seem, feels like I've had less free time to do stuff in this situation. But, you know, that's not all quarantine. That's not all, you know, it's like personal life stuff in right. between that. But it's also like I haven't skipped a beat. I haven't stopped working. I've, like, been working more. There's <laughs> there's more right. going on, and it's harder to do what I used to be able to do. So in a lot of ways, I have, like, less free time and stuff, and it's, like, really annoying. So. <laughs> Speaking well, of which, here's here's my little transition thing. I finally, you know, I'm actually trying to catch up on comic books and read them again, which is, you know, you know, peek behind the curtain, as we just like to say. One reason why that uh, when we get into Legacy, it, it, we're recording later than we planned, because I I didn't want to just read the three comics we're talking about. I had to read all the extra stuff, too, but we can talk about that. So I've also, I finally finished City of Bane. <laughs> because i want to because i wanted to um
1: i really yourself (laughs) well
2: well i need it's like a band-aid that's just been there for a lot of many years and you just got to rip it off you know right and i've just been staring at it for a long time just like because i i really want to get to the the Tynan run because joker war in is ending like next week and i and i've been stoked about that story and gotten Got in. The, I was getting excited about it, and I just want to read it in one big binge, right? Because mm-hmm. now it's all there, so I want to get like a reading order list and do it all. But I'm like, yeah, but I gotta finish City of Bane first. I don't want to not finish it because I only had like three issues left, and I was like, okay, I'll deal. And so I finally, <laughs> uh, yesterday, finished it, and and I had the the Drake episode where you guys talk about all that. And I had paused it right when you were like, okay, we're going to start talking spoilers about City of Bane. And I had paused it and I had it sitting in my queue for months <laughs> and stuff. And um, it was really funny because I, I listened to that whole episode today or the rest of that episode today, because <laughs> now it was fresh since I had just read it. And uh, man, like everything you guys were saying, I'm like, yep, yep. Oh, I didn't think yeah. about that, but now that you said that, I don't like the story even more, and <laughs> yeah. you know stuff like that. Like at the end, you're like, hopefully Ryan can make a call in and make a recording about how he liked it, and I'm like, well, good thing I didn't because I
0: did <laughs> not So that yeah. was the episode 105. <laughs> 105. Anybody, anybody's curious, I think I called it the City of Drake. City of Drake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So you know, I'm glad I finished reading it. Just like you guys were saying, it's like just like yeah. when I with Gotham, it's like. Well, I watched all the episodes, so I can conclusively say that I didn't like it. So it, you know, City of Bane was, and the whole King Run really is kind of that for me—not to open old wounds again, but like, right.
0: yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> well, and yeah. and to find out that the uh, Batman Catwoman book that's going to be coming out is off its, its con, own thing, its own thing, which means the entire King Run was its own thing, because it's that whole entire... So I was like, so this wasn't Elseworld this whole entire time. Okay. So do we do we go down the King Road or we just go back to something that's supposed to take us out of reality? And now the the thing that we're going well, to read is actually our reality. They they say
2: different stuff all the time, I and mean, we yeah. all know that comics shift and comics change. Right. And really, it's it's I, I kind of view in I'm, I'm viewing that as almost like the uh, like the Grant Morrison stuff. If when Grant Morrison was doing, it, it's like well anything that's Grant Morrison is Grant Morrison verse. Like that's like. That's yeah. it's continuity, and you just read all his stuff, and it's all going to make sense. But it's not going to really track with like what Batman's doing in Justice League or what Batman's doing in this other book right. or whatever. So I think it's kind of like the same thing. Like you can probably take the King continuity as whatever. Although that's the thing, it's like I think with that Batman Catwoman book, it's going to be like three, three different timelines or three different. Eras shown mm-hmm. being shown at once, and so you know, you know, past, present, future. Like, what's real, what's not, or whatever. But it was funny the predictions that you guys were making um, because you were talking about um, like Alfred's death and stuff. And Terrence said something like, "Oh yeah, and they killed him. It's such a marketing thing, just so they can, just so they can make a." Alfred R.I.P. special or something, (laughs) and they literally did that, and I think that was months before that was an actual thing, and they totally, that was a thing, and they they made Alfred Pennyworth R.I.P. special issue, just, you know, and I was like, oh my god, Terrence was prophetic. He knows how comics work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've been built out of a lot of money. (laughs) I've got long boxes full of things going, why did I buy that? Why did I buy that? Yeah.
0: Well, and Ryan just said a little bit ago, finding what the reading order for Joker War is, and I got all of my books lined up, and the first book, technically, in Joker War is Alfred R.I.P. Oh, wow. So, as far as the three or four websites that I was on, they list that as the technical first part well, of the run. Well, hmm. Interesting. Well, you, there's a little tag at the end of City of Bane, too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. I'm just going to read the, because I haven't read any of the Tiny Run, right? I just, I literally just finished Batman 85
0: yesterday. So I'm going to read the whole thing. Nice. I think this will, it'll be something that reads, just like with all of his stuff, it'll read really nice in a long, you know, nice long run. So, speaking of a nice long run, I think this is where we can make our segue. To Batman Legacy, so oh, that was uh, very a,
1: fluid, Rob. Very that
0: was very fluid. I, I was, I was it. waiting for Terrence yeah. to be
2: like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, Rob, I got one thing to say. Hold on, <laughs> yeah, I gotta
0: interrupt you." See what what people don't know that Terrence and Ryan know if they've got their show notes open. I built in for last questions in bold prints for me to say the lines. Uh, Do you have anything? What are your next thoughts before we go to the next issue? To hopefully avoid me stepping over Terrence going. Well, hey, wait, just one more thing. Just one more thing.
1: One th- I, yeah, I was. We were talking off mic that I when I was reading, I'm like, Rob's going to go right over this one part, but I'm going to stop him and bring him back. So, <laughs> um, but uh, hey, I threw the Star Wars universe and the marvel universe to try to get you off task and you you stayed on so good job rob i
0: did so before we take a break before we get to our synopsis and uh little promos that i'm going to put in here i did want uh since this is something that ryan has talked about is really being like terrence and i are a little bit older. So, when every time I go, so where were you when you first read this Robin book? Ryan's yeah. always saying I was 4. Yeah. I was 3. And I think if I remember the podcast correctly, this is one of the first things that you read that you're like, "Okay, I can I can remember getting this." And if yeah. you kind of want to tell like when you first got it. And then we got a little lead-in that I'm going to have uh, Ryan lead uh the the intro of a uh, Batman legacy for us. So take it away, Ryan. I
2: think I might've said some of this story on another show because we've talked about getting to legacy for a long time, but, but yeah, like it is kind of cool that this story is one of the first major Batman stories I, that really stuck with me as a kid. Cause on all these other episodes, it's like, yeah, well I knew nightfall and I read nightfall, but legacy, I, I got the trade, the original trade of Batman legacy. I, I believe mm. as like a, like a hey happy e- it was like a easter time kind of thing like a hey it's easter we got you this you know here's a here's a easter present or something you know i think my mom would always do that i actually think i got like a, a easter basket with like a robin issue a couple of years earlier around the same time so i don't know maybe it's just my mom was like batman and easter and <laughs> i don't know but i think but yeah so she got me this um Batman Legacy trade paperback. And I didn't get comics all the time. I didn't get them new issues or anything at the time. So I'm sure she must have went to the comic store. It must have just come out. And it was like, oh, here's like a neat, you know, smallish, like, you know, cool looking trade paperback or whatever. And um, she got it for me. And, uh, yeah, I remember reading it and just being absolutely blown away as a kid because it was absolutely epic. Like, it had all the characters... You would want, um, mm-hmm. or not maybe not all the characters, but it had, it was the kind of story you would want that covered a lot of ground, you know, figuratively and literally. It has all the major Bat family members. It's got racial Gould. It's got the return of Bane, and so, and after experiencing Nightfall and reading Nightfall, you know, and I didn't really know what Legacy was about. Reading it for the first time was like, oh my gosh, it's like the sequel to Nightfall. I didn't even know it, and you know, because it all the surprises kind of. You know, as a kid t- threw me for a loop, like if you're a long time Batman reader, as you read the story pretty early on, you'd be like, yeah, that's gonna be racial goal or yeah, this guy's probably gonna be bane, but as a kid, I had no clue, so uh all the twists and turns really got to me, and the globe trotting globe hopping um mm-hmm. aspect of it was was really appealing, and so was the um the Graham Nolan artwork, you know, like that is um I mean, it's just very iconic. It's just and and consistent. And after liking it so much, of course, in the Nightfall books, it was really cool to get like a majority Graham Nolan kind of Batman run where he gets to right. take all these characters and get them out of Gotham. But have, But it's like a very cool modern day, you know, in the time uh, homage to you know like a uh, like the Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams, Rachel Gould, Desert globetrotting stories. And so it's got a lot of cool elements in it, a lot of cool moments, a lot of cool character interactions. And it's it's one that I have a lot of fond memories of. So it's uh, going to be really cool to re-experience it or experience it in a different way for the, these shows because that trade paperback, as cool as it was, it was only like the core essential parts of the story. I, and mm-hmm. I know I've said this on um, previous episodes that it did not have every single issue that was part of the story just like a lot of the early nightfall stuff it took years and years like what, what 25 years yeah. to get the omnibus omnibus volumes that had everything and so they finally did do that for legacy where there it's the whole story is actually in two trade paperback volumes and the first one is so big that you don't even get to the legacy part 1 until the very end of the book <laughs> right and then there's all this stuff I didn't know about. Like, when you get to Legacy Volume 2, there's the whole Bane miniseries. What is it called? Bane, Son of the Demon? Uh, no. I was
0: just looking. I'm trying to flip through. Child
2: of the Demon? No. Bane of the Demon. Bane
0: Something of the like Demon, that. yes. Yeah. yeah, you have yeah. the whole... Yeah, like, um, spoilers. Like the, at the end
2: of the, the Volume 1, at the end of Detective 700, you find out that, you know, Rache's Ubu is Bane, and... Bane is back and then the whole story takes like this whole it like pauses you know in the chronology so you can read this whole Bane mini series to figure out how he factors into the whole thing uh and it's really cool and that was not part of that trade paperback so it's almost like the trade paperback original trade paperback version is like the uh it's like the, the theatrical version and these two trade paperback new editions are like the giant director's cut So you get to read all of the extra information and stuff that you didn't know before. And it's just going to add, you know, hopefully will add a whole lot of cool context and just be like this expanded edition of, of a story that I've always liked but have never experienced the full breadth of before. Wikipedia synopsis of Batman Legacy, the entire arc, is that Batman Legacy is a crossover story arc in the Batman comic book series, which is a sequel to another Batman story arc, Contagion, And also serves as a follow up to the Nightfall story arc. The tagline is the stakes are higher than they've ever been as Batman and his outnumbered forces race to solve a riddle from the distant past that threatens to erase all of mankind's tomorrow. The story concerns the returning outbreak of a lethal disease in Gotham City and Batman's attempts to combat it with his closest allies by discovering its origin in the Middle East. The disease is known as the Apocalypse Plague, the Philovirus. Ebola Gulf A, or its more popular nickname, The Clinch. An unlikely alliance searches the world for a possible cure, including Batman, Robin, Oracle, Nightwing, Huntress, Asriel, and Catwoman. There, Batman faces two of his deadliest foes, Ra's Ghoul Ghul and Bane, the man who crippled him. The Gotham Knights travel throughout the world as they race to stop the League of Assassins from releasing the pure strain of the virus across the globe, and Gotham itself would be a place for the rematch between the Dark Knight and Bane. Raish continues his search for the suitable mate for his daughter Talia al Ghul. Meanwhile, Batman leads the chase for a cure to save the life of Tim Drake Robin and the fate of the world. The events of this lead into Batman Cataclysm, though there was a gap of over a year between the two story arcs, which itself leads into Batman No Man's Land.
0: Well, that's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. <laughs> there you go. The you know, end. that's that's just that's cool in and of itself that All of these storylines are connected, you know, I mean, this whole podcast is connected into, you know, Tim Drake's origin, but Mm. you can really read Nightfall and then go on this long journey. Talk about binging something, read all of Nightfall and get into, even if you just hit the bullet points of Nightfall, Contagion. Uh, legacy, you know, Cataclysm, Aftershock, No Man's Land. You've got this huge, massive wealth of Batman stuff that has bled into all of this media and movies.
2: Blood. Well, what's interesting is, you know, a a lot of times we talk about, like, event fatigue and too many crossovers and stuff like that, but and I don't know if it's just rose-colored glasses from the era or if... It was just done better back then, but like you said, these these story arcs kind of you can take them apart and read them in succession, and they they do nicely build on each other without feeling too like too much to me. Like it might I don't know if for you guys if it was if it did like maybe Nightfall did like week to week to week or whatever, but it seems like there was a decent amount of breathing room. Amongst the titles between each of these, and when they did happen, like when Legacy happened, it was a big deal. So it, what you were incentivized to like, oh, we should, you know, actually read this because it's, it's a big deal, and it's, and they, it seems like, you know, at the time, Dixon would pepper in things and build things up, so it wasn't just like, oh, next month's the crossover, you know, it would <laughs> just seem like the issues themselves would build enough to it, just like in this Legacy Volume One trade paperback, like a whole bunch of issues you wouldn't think should be in it are because there's these little things that just happen. They build in the regular monthly issues until you get to the point where it's like, okay, now we're in the actual main event story.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of that, before we uh, continue on our legacy coverage, as Ryan was talking about, the introductory coverage started with episode 118 for the show, with, if you read the Legacy Trade Paperback, or if you have DC Universe, all of the 2017 trade that Ryan and myself are reading from, I think Terrence is reading from single issues. Start with Detective 697, 698, 699, and then on episode 120 is Robin 31. Not covered in our show, but is in the 2017 two volume trade is Catwoman 33, 34, and 35. So I have a couple brief synopsis that Catwoman traveled to a country I can't pronounce to steal steal a a back microchip that could be copied and pirated. She got uh, the chip easily, but was attacked, abducted by a group led by the hellhounds. In 34, the collector uncovered an ancient journal describing underground wheel, that was heavily booby-trapped and Catwoman was on the front line to go in. A former member of the Order of St. Dumas who had translated much of the journal, accompanied them. He and Catwoman entered the labyrinth as the Hellhound men were attacked. And then in 35, they went through the traps, into the wheel, the Hellhound, Catwoman, and the translator were attacked by a large, unknown man. Catwoman wakes up in the cell, and that will dovetail into the books that we're talking about today. So... Before we break for our promo break, I know Ryan was hurriedly trying to read some of the Catwoman issues, so I wanted to have a little brief discussion of Catwoman. And Terrence, I don't know if you read the Catwoman issues or not, but I wanted to get your quick thoughts, Ryan, of what you thought about Catwoman issues before we get into our main feature.
2: Yeah, like so in that original release, trade Paperback of Legacy, they don't not tell you what happened, but what they do is they... There's like a few page, prelude pages where they're like, oh, here's this thing, and here's like the Wheel of Plagues, and here Catwoman found it and stuff, and they just kind of Cliff's Notes version version it. So this was a cool opportunity in this new Legacy Volume 1 release to actually read those Catwoman issues, because I very, you know, Cliff's Notes knew kind of what happened, but it was fun to read the, you know, the full story. And uh, this this era of Catwoman is kind of interesting to me, and, and reading it, I'm like, man... This just makes me want some sort of game that I was like, man, there's probably some video game that never got released that should have been made, where it's like a Catwoman version of Tomb Raider, because this <sighs> seems like so cool. Yeah, how, how this Catwoman is is globetrotting and gets, uh, you know, picked up by mercenary groups and they're they're forcing her to do stuff. So I could just see like this working at cool and. In a cool video game concept where, like, she's forced to do this stuff, but she's Catwoman, so she's still cool, and she's got these like gadgets and abilities, and I I don't know. It just seems like it can make for a really cool experience. I think like we should go back in time and make somebody make that game, but that's what these three issues kind of read like to me. It's like a like a Tomb Raider version, and you and you Mm -hmm. swap out Lara Croft with Catwoman, and it totally works for me. Just to see her in her monologue, and I mean this cat this version of Catwoman is a lot more out for herself. Her she doesn't have a ton of interaction with Batman really, she's all in it for the money and herself and stuff like that. But it's it's a cool espionage super spy version of Catwoman, and um and it, and, and every time we cover a Catwoman issue or or mention one on this show as it ties into other things, it it makes me want to. Go back and just read that I know. run, <laughs> you know, I know. And I've done that before. Like I've bought some issues, so I've got a bunch of these issues just sitting around, waiting. For, and of course, it's on. D- I think it's all on DC Universe. Mm-hmm. At some point, I should just read this run because it's it's just a lot of fun to kind of go through this version of the character. So yeah, I mean, just seeing it and seeing her interaction with people like the uh, like the Hellhounds and stuff. I'm like, man, I don't know who this character is, but he's cool. And 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 you only saw him what was his name kai but but it is his name yeah. hellhound she's she and and like the humor is really cool because catwoman his name's hellhound but she calls him kai or kai kai or <laughs> devil dog he's like what's your new name devil dog he's like no it's hellhound you know <laughs> and in the original legacy trade paperback you just see a, little, a couple of panels of this character and i was like he looks cool and and they've obviously already crossed paths before by the time you get to uh, these catwoman issues so i'm like oh man i just want to go back and Read more of this because I want to see how they got here because this is kind of a compelling, you know, set of characters. So, but yeah, it was cool to see how Catwoman got into the cell because when you read the story, if you haven't read that, you're just like, whoa, why is Catwoman there? <laughs>
0: She's trapped too. Right. And that this was something that uh, when my wife had her surgery, I started reading this in the hospital room. And I think I said before, like, I remember thinking, like, I'm going to begrudgingly read the Catwoman issues. I almost skipped it. I thought, why not? I'm here in the waiting room. I might as well just read it. And I got to the end. This read so fast, and I was so invested into the story. And I'm like, well, of course I do. Of course I like it. It's, it's Chuck Dixon. Like you said, I could picture, like, Tomb Raider. You know, like, I I've played in some of these levels before with the giant wheel and, you know, like, the the water rising up and she's in one saying she jumps off the boat and then gets in the car, falls in the water. They pick her back up again. And Dixon writes her sarcasm very well. I thought this was fun. And, uh, When it was over and I was into the next story, I was like, that's it. There's no more Catwoman. So I had the same thought you did, Ryan. Like, I want to go back through. (laughs) I want to, I need to finish Dixon's run. All right. Well, I think this is a good spot to take a quick little promo break and uh, we'll throw the synopsis in for Shadow of the Bat when we come out on the other side. We will start our discussion for Batman Legacy. We'll see you in a few minutes. Don't go anywhere.
1: Drama, lust, snark, comedy, heartbreak, creativity, poetry, illicit affairs, rage, revenge, testosterone poisoning, gunshots, sculpture, feminine hygiene products, naked car crashes.
0: You know what we haven't had in a long time?
1: and liver terry moore strangers in paradise the audio adaptation
2: coming to your ear holes in late 2020 on the two true freaks podcast network liver is my life
0: Batman Legacy, Shadow of the Bat. This is technically a prelude issue. I think all the issues in uh, the trade you could technically say are prelude issues, but this one does have the banner on the top of it. So Shadow of the Bat has a cover date of August 1996 with a sale date of June 5th, 1996, with the cover price $1.25. And the editor is the late Dennis J. O'Neill. And that is so sad to be able to say now. Um, Lang, Rob. Yes. You just say the great Dennis O'Neill. the great. That's right, the great. We'll, <laughs> we'll leave laid out. The great. <laughs> the writer is Allegra. The penciler is Dave Taylor. And I'm sad to say I really don't know much about Dave Taylor. I'm probably sure I've seen much of his work, but it uh, might have been on some of the ancillary bat titles. So like Shadow wasn't something I read a lot. The inker is Stan Woosh. The letter is Bill. Oakley, and the colorist is Pamela Rambo. Uh, the cover credits go to Carl Critchlow, if I'm saying that right, and this has been reprinted in the Batman Legacy trade paperback from 1997 that Ryan was talking about, and then the new Batman Legacy trade paperback, Volume 1 in 2017. And now the synopsis for Batman Shadow the Bat 53, and I brought this from DC Fandom with a few additional information by yours truly. Legacy Prelude... Hobson's Choice. Huntress is working on some criminal activity while Batman tells Robin about the death of Armin Kroll as a result of the Ebola Gulf virus. Batman contacts Azrael to know more about the plague. And its origins Azrael tells him to go to the Sudan desert And find some ruins that may hold the answers To what he is looking for Oracle contacts the people in the Batcave And tells them that the virus isn't completely eliminated But stays in a dormant state And the blood that could remain in a state for days or years Batman decides to go with Nightwing to the Sudan And find the real cure for the virus Robin decides that he wants to go also At Gotham City Hall, news about Crowell's death spreads like the virus itself. There is a meeting to which the men suggest quarantining all the people that have been infected by the virus. Does that sound familiar to (laughs) anyone? Mayor Grange and the councilmen and Commissioner Gordon refuse to do such a thing, and then the members of the meeting vote to not proceed in that way. Bruce Wayne pays a visit to Lucius Fox and gives him full authority over Wayne Tech's decisions because of Bruce's future absence. Batman tells Commissioner Gordon of his plans of traveling to Africa to find the real cure. Gordon doesn't like to have to deal with Gotham City alone in this moment. Batman assures Gordon that there will be a capable vigilante to help Gordon. Huntress finds the place that she has been looking for and takes down several crooks. One of them is about to shoot her when Robin appears to save her. Robin tells her of the traveling plans and asks her to be the official Gotham vigilante in their absence. She agrees on one condition. When they come back, Batman will have to thank her personally. Okay, so... This is the onset of officially, if I've been saying officially for so long now on the show, of Batman Legacy. So there were a few like questions that I wanted to start asking you guys. The Huntress opening sequence I thought was kind of cool. It's almost like a cold opening like we like to do in the show sometime. And I also think that this is a way to start putting... Helena back front and center in Gotham as her story mm-hmm. is also really starting here as well. So did you think like if you're coming into this new, is it was this a a good opening to start with the Huntress, knowing if you don't know where things are going or you're gonna read this and go, Hey, who's this character? Let's start with uh Terrence on this one.
1: Yeah, you know the cover is a little misleading um because it has the huntress and batman like in a really cool action scene and then it starts off with this like kind of kind of a cool interrogation of with the huntress i'm not really sure what she's doing with this whole arrow and nose ring cuz it 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 looks like <laughs> oh no he's trapped but if he just walks towards the arrow the rope will slack and he can pull it out so i'm not really sure but then the thing is you don't see the huntress again for like the next like three thousand pages, or maybe that's an exaggeration, but it's 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 a while before there's the huntress. There's just a lot of talking in between the huntress. So yeah, the first uh, well, the first page they always cheat on Shadow the Bat because they give you that title page, and then yeah, it's kind of a cool little interrogation scene for two pages. But then where's the huntress? The rest of it. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. No. Okay, I was. It- yeah
0: just more like the cold opening like do you think it just kind of works to set up something and maybe that was part of their deal like hey here's the Huntress and then like you said another thousand pages oh by the way here she is again Uh, any thoughts on the Huntress Ryan I think Huntress is cool and it uh, this is the issue where
2: you really you could just not have read anything else and just boom start here and it does open nice and cinematic like and have it open a story like this open with just two characters talking and going through something. I mean, it's it's it eases you in because like otherwise it it, it might turn readers off if they're new to a oh Prelude Legacy because you look at the cover right it's like oh this is part of a crossover or something but um the last thing you want to do on a book like this is be like okay Prelude Legacy there's a virus and there was a virus in the last thing but like it's it's you know but now, now the mayor's dead and now there is these vi- the thing mm-hmm. and then the Azrael and blah blah blah. Like it just starts you off with Huntress doing Huntress things, <laughs> and then it and then it like, um. And so it's a cool like like you said, cold open little scene before it takes you into the Batcave and um gets you up to speed on what's actually you know going to be the backbone, the emotional backbone of Legacy, which is something I think as Tim Drake fans uh is really it's like an added layer to this whole story. Like the whole story is cool, but man. Our boy Tim is really kind of at the heart of the whole thing, too.
0: Yeah. And that's what I kind of liked in dealing with Tim's potential illness right from the start, that you, we don't have to drag this out. Like, do we tell him? Do we not tell him? So I like that they fit that into the story. Like, no, we're not going to... Like, debag Batman really doesn't kind of exist right now. Like, Batman's still... Yeah, Batman's going to do things his way, but this is his partner. And especially, yeah. probably, Halvin, Alfred there, they're like we need to tell Tim what's going on and whatever he wants to do. Batman is in full support of that, which, you know, talking about, at you know, the beginning of the show, reading, you know, like three Jokers and Joker war and, you know, all this stuff where this is a Batman. It's like, no, we'll let Tim make the, the choice. So I, I liked that. Did you guys like, they could do this the other way. Like, well, let's not tell him let's drag him along. And we get the, the shocking reveal. I feel like the air already been let out and, now it's just a matter of every issue, like, oh, is he going to have symptoms? So what do you guys think about that, uh, Ryan?
2: Yeah, like I said, it, it sets up the emotional stakes for the story because you know what Tim's already gone through. And again, to get topical about the whole coronavirus <laughs> thing here, we're we're getting into this point of the year where it's like, well, in March it was good, you know, like, oh no, March, this will be over by April, and then it wasn't, then it wasn't, then it wasn't, and then people that have gotten better are like, can you get it again? I don't know, like, it's it's still here, it's still with us, and and just kind of, and that's what's so interesting about looking back at this story so many years later, is that a lot of the best comic books are of their time, and can have a commentary on their time, but it's also like, you know, heightened reality, heightened storytelling, and, you know, a lot of things in this book maybe resonate a little bit better today even than they did back then because you know even chuck dixon at the time was like this was silly but and then you read it now and it's like did they write this yesterday it's weird and yeah so i remember as a kid when i first read this seeing like tim just like sitting so somber on the batmobile thinking about where yeah. where his life is going to go and then he just like Flashes to and the art is really well done here, where he just kind of in his head flashes to like the future where he's on his wedding day to marry like uh, Ariana, and then boom, he just is infected because they're like, oh, you, you know, you're kind of a time bomb. It could this could hit, this could kill you tomorrow or years from now, and then and then just that horrific image of of the virus just getting him that freaked me out so much as a kid because I hadn't really read Contagion. And mm-hmm. so that was, like, my, the first time I had seen, like, oh, this is what that vi- this virus, like, does to you or whatever. It's a really well-done, crafted opening to this whole story because it gives you all the information and backstory stuff about the virus and what their plan is, but it's also anchored by all of these pretty deep character moments, you know, before they launch off onto their adventure. So it's... Re- I mean, and those are the things that I... Remembered emotionally about this story and then reading it again for this show I'm like, it still hits all those same notes really well
0: Nice. So uh, Terrence, I didn't have to skip over this part because Ryan brought it right in. This was <laughs> my next question. I know,
1: you both had mentioned it I, I thought for sure you'd go past <laughs> the wedding scene here, but yeah, go for it.
0: No, I... This was the only issue out of the whole bunch that I had never really read before because I thought, well, I read Batman five five thirty three, so I never really sought out uh, the Shadow of the Bat issue. So I read it for the first time, you know, just uh, about a month or so ago. And uh, Terrence and I were talking off mic that I thought this was some just rando dude at first, and I was like, oh, that's actually <laughs> t- that's actually Tim, and yeah. then I was like. Well, wait a minute. He doesn't marry Stephanie. Like this is Ari. So, that was a little a little note that I had here of you know who does Tim marry at the end of the day. Well, apparently, right now in nineteen ninety six, I mean, he he's viewing. I mean, in his head, he's yeah. he He views
2: Ari as his girlfriend. So I'm um, you know that's yeah. who's taking up his mind at the time.
0: Yeah. So did you have a a thought on the uh, little wedding sequence before we? move on or did I just steal your thunder, (laughs) Terrence?
1: Kind of a little bit, like, again, there, I I had the same reaction as you did. When um, this came on first, I thought that they were, like, flashing to a scene in Gotham going on right now, showing how this was affecting people who had the virus, and I thought they were cured and now are having a, a relapse. But then I then I realized shortly after when Tim's sitting on the car. But right before that, and hopefully you'll go back to the Azriel because you can't skip Azriel with with Ryan here, right? No, but, no. Um, they show Damn Oracle I. slash Barbara Gordon looking really good in that picture. She <laughs> the art on her was really good. She looks really well, good well. By there.
2: the way, like I gotta I gotta hand it to him, like Bruce Wayne or whoever is doing the Batcave branding right now is really good because like his back computer chair has the Bat logo
0: on the back. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Oracle has to be wearing a Batman shirt, so you
2: know yeah. like, she's part of the team. Like,
0: yeah, there, there's a merch store in Gotham City that no one knows about other than Bruce Wayne.
1: Yeah, yeah, T Public. All right, <laughs> yeah. um, The um. So what actually made me think of uh, you know, the video game series where Tim is married to Barbara. When I, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I noticed mm-hmm. that the, the bride wasn't a redhead. But then I'm like, wait, it wasn't a blonde either. It wasn't Stephanie. But, you know, this is written by Alan Grant, who is famous for not really knowing the the continuity of Batman comics and being <laughs> in England. And yeah. it may... Well, like have, I said, it's like it's, it's his own thi- I mean, when yeah. he writes Batman, it's like his own Batman, too. Yeah. So it could have just been random you know... No. Female. Or... No, no way. Like, this is
2: like a... Talk... Let's ask Chuck, because, like, this is a... These big crossovers like this, it's almost like... I'm sure they... At one of the Bat Summits or something, right? They probably planned the whole thing out, and it was like, well, Chuck's writing 87 of the books, so he's going to be writing most of the stuff, but, like, Alan Grant writes Shadow of the Bat, so... We want part of this legacy story to be in Shadow of the Bat, and since Alan Grant writes Shadow of the Bat, you're going to write this part of the story, and it's got to have this beat, this beat, and this beat in it, or whatever.
1: Knowing so Chuck I'm
2: Dixon... Sure oh, I'm an editor, and, and you know, Dennis J. O'Neill, the great... Dennis J. O'Neill was the editor, so surely they wouldn't have let something like that just slip. I mean, it's a quite a poignant moment in the story for it to be just a rando. I don't, you know... I, I think they put a little bit more thought into it than that. Well, That's knowing
1: Chuck Dixon... Me. Oh, sorry. Knowing Chuck Dixon, at some point in like Robin, the next couple issues or something, he'll probably have a scene where he's talking to Nightwing, saying, "You know, I imagined my wedding to Ariano or something." Oh, you're like that. probably you're right. Probably you're probably say right that
0: somewhere. Yeah, that's going to be a funny moment. I should say if, like, I know when we get to that moment, we're gonna be like, "Well, Terrence, Terrence got another one, <laughs> right?" Yeah, I like that. Azrael is you're talking about being Robin as a one of the main theme. I mean, the whole story. Builds around Robin. The whole reason they're going on the globe-trotting adventure to begin with is because hey, Tim Drake's not cured. But one of the first persons that Bruce leads leans into is Azrael, and the wealth of knowledge that Azrael has. This would have been very easy to kind of not leave Azrael out of the story because I mean he's already played a part of it. But that they are. Relying so much on the knowledge of Azrael and the Order of Saint Dumas, you know that that fits into the whole story. That DC has quickly, and again because Denny's writing the book, is like we're, we're going to make Azrael a main player in the Batman universe. So I love the history lesson. Again, talk about debag Batman not being here, the first person he calls is Azrael to say, Okay, give me every bit of information you have. So I wanted yeah. Ryan to speak on Azrael's involvement in the beginning of this and kind of what a what a big deal this is. Yeah, I mean it kind of is the start of this uneasy alliance
2: between Batman and Jean Paul, or Bruce and Jean Paul, where it's they've gone through nightfall, there's been all this time in between now where Bruce took a step took a step back, and we had Prodigal, where where Dick took over as Batman, and now we're and then we had Troika, and now we're we had Contagion. So Contagion was like a, a pretty good test of it, right? But now that we're of that relationship kind of repairing somewhat, or bat, or Batman giving him the trying to do things differently and uh, let him be a hero, and you know let him be an agent of the Bat, as it were. Mm. But now that we're in Legacy, it's um, it is a cool thing to kind of start off with that, to kind of show where that relationship is at and how Batman, how Bruce is approaching this. And of course, it is. Ezreal is kind of a cool addition to the Bat universe at this point because the way that he's set up is that Denny's got the solo book. He can just kind of do his own thing and write it and, and connect it when he needs to. But the whole... Order of Saint Dumas is now a very um it's it's a it's it's a really like interesting MacGuffin and something they can use for story mm-hmm. beats and other things, like because now, like in this whole story, it's like, oh that whole other story with contagion? Well guess what? That was really a you know, a, a Order of the Saint Dumas plot. Oh, but guess what? It wasn't just them. They stole the virus from this, you know I mean it was like you know, you have an ancient organization that can deal with and have conflicts with racial al Ghul Now, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, and and both of those things are on the, are firmly planted inside of the Batman sector of the universe. Like in the wider DC universe, of course, you have other things, like you have your Vandal Savages and things like that. But but it's cool to have another like ancient, you know, entity there to to have some storytelling possibilities with. And of course, Azrael has his connections to it so he can fight them in his own book, but he can also, you know, give all the information he can to the Batman and Batman family proper as they go through this story. So it is, it's pretty cool. And of course you have Bane in the story too. So it is all that it is, it's definitely like the most direct sequel to, to Nightfall if you wanted to skip straight to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I like that there's, like you said, the, you know, Ra's al Ghul has, you know, lived many lifetimes, not as many as, you know, Vandal Savage has, but the Order has had a long lineage, too. So rather than there being this, you know, evil being that's existed for a millennia or whatever, you have a good Order, so to speak, on the other side, battling against this as well, that Batman gets thrust into. So I thought this was, was great. It's a It's another... As Justin Kowalski likes to say, it's another wrinkle that you get a fold into the tapestry of uh, Batman. So the uh, Nancy Pelosi thing that I said here is uh, seeing words like quarantine in the mayor's office seems very surreal now. You know, in 1996, I don't know if I would have understood entirely what the word quarantine means. But I sure as heck do now when, you know, talk about my wife having surgery. She had to go get tested for COVID. And they're like, oh, You've got to quarantine, too, because you can't go back to work and potentially bring something back in. So seeing, you know, movies around this time that were doing like the apocalyptic type thing and hearing things about even going back to The Walking Dead and talking about they got to be quarantined in the CDC seemed like, well, what really does that mean? Little did I know in 2020, I know exactly what that means. A note I have here. It says Gordon is a hard ass in the uh, towards the councilman. Like, no, we're not going to. You know, quarantine all these people, uh, be it crooks or whatever, and is talking to the new mayor. And I'm looking at the picture of the female mayor, and I went, "Holy crap, is that Nancy Pelosi?" Am I the only? <laughs> am I the only one <laughs> that saw that? I mean, that? they were one page away from
2: being like, "We should just have people
1: wear masks and people would, and be like, know, nobody
2: wants to wear masks. We're taking away their freedoms.'" I'm just like, "Wait, it's
0: a, it's a chin diaper."
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, if they would have made this today, they would have definitely had someone on the panel who looked like Dr. Fauci and be like, well, what does our medical advisor say? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something I have here is now, and I liked this
0: scene uh, quite a bit, being as short that it is, a little tip to the hat to our straight out of Gotham brothers, uh, Pete and Eric. The Iceberg Lounge is represented in here, and Eric told me that the duck rides in the Iceberg Lounge are still free. It's just a lower. Anytime he mentions Solomon Grundy has to pay the Iceberg Lounge fifty bucks for copyright, but we'll we'll let you uh, figure that out on Straight Out of Gotham podcast. All getting aside, I like this version of Penguin, and just like with. Helena Huntress, like we're kind of setting the seeds for who and what she's going to become getting into no man's land down the road. These are the first steps for the penguin starting to put his feet in Gotham City and really pulling strings. So by the time, you know, the catastrophic event of an earthquake hits Gotham City, the penguin already has his ducks in a row. So I found these couple little scenes with the penguin, albeit very short. I think he looks kind of badass. In white, that reading this again for the first time, I was going, oh wow, this is so, this is where the penguin starts getting his people and that he's got you know informants in the council and that'll get down into the police and all that stuff so i just wanted your guys' thoughts on the penguin just the quick involvement here and one of the little note i had it was nice to be able to see that the villains have an actual hideout and it's a believable hideout so what are your guys thoughts on the penguin here before we get to our last couple of questions let's start with terrence
1: yeah, it's, it's not bad. My problem is like, after the action scene with the Huntress, there's literally, and I counted, uh, 13 pages of nothing but talking, uh, except for someone mm. cutting, the only action is someone cutting his nails next to the penguin. So <laughs> I felt like the pacing of this issue could have been better. I, I was actually kind of disappointed in the Asriel scenes in that, um, the art on Asriel looks awesome and, it's cool that Asriel has this knowledge and, and Bruce is, is um, turning to him. But it, I felt like with three pages, maybe they could have done a little more than just, you know, uh, a Skype call to each other. Like, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they could have done. But that's why I'm not writing the comics. I'm just critiquing them. <laughs> but But yeah, this, I guess your question was, what do I think of this version of the Penguin? Yeah, I like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs>
2: love it. I mean, this is where the penguin, the modern penguin kind of is forming, right? Where he's transit he's been transitioning from the wank, you know, mm-hmm. jokey penguin to more of the iceberg lounge guy and there it is. He's got the iceberg lounge. He's got I like the the white tuxedo kind of look for him and stuff. And and he's got, you know, he's got some edge to him, you know, burn, <laughs> burning people's <laughs> hands with matches and stuff. It's he's yeah. he's a little jerk. I mean, it's it's cool and he's trying to, he's got his little He's got his little flippers in, into the into the DA's office and stuff. Like it's cool. I mean, he's doing some penguiny stuff. So,
0: and I think this would be a. I really hope this is the uh, like a Matt Reeves version. You know, I want my boss mm. penguin. You know, that seems. I think he's to pre
2: pre pre that
0: though. Pre like penguin. he probably has that, but he's but he
2: maybe doesn't have all the power he wants yet.
0: Yeah. Just starting starting that out, yeah, that'd be cool. One of the last uh, couple here, I wrote Bryce, and I don't know why I wrote Bryce. Probably meant to say Bruce. Sending Tim to relay a message to Helena that you know, while they're going out on their globe trotting adventure, that the Huntress is going to be watching over Gotham. You know, you might have thought like talking about Azrael and there being action to pull, rather than Azrael say, "Hey, this is where you need to go." You would have thought. Bruce would have said, "All right, Azrael, you come with me. Robin wants to go on this adventure. Nightwing, you stay in Gotham and watch everything going on, and make it sure you know don't have sex with Helena, and you know watch Gotham City." So I think it's a bold move by Bruce to put Helena there, but he's not going to personally go talk to her. He's going to send Tim to go do it. So I don't know if that's more of a power move. Like, I trust you, but I'm not going to spend my time, quote unquote, waste my time talking to you. Or is this more of Bruce knowing she might say no to him, but she's really not going to say no to Tim as much as Bruce's has – we've talked about this before. Bruce saying, you know, I don't like you working with Helena or Alfred saying, I don't think Bruce would like that. I think Bruce is like, all right, Tim might be the right person to go talk to her and she'll probably say yes. So did you guys have any thoughts with – like Terrence said at the beginning with we open with Helena we don't have anything for a thousand pages and bam here she is
2: I mean I think that um, this is kind of another example in this in this particular story of where Bruce's head is at and how he's trying to operate as Batman like he's communicating with Azrael at the beginning of the issue and he's got the fourth knowledge to be like you know although he obviously in previous stories has had issues with Huntress and how she operates as a vigilante it's like we're going to be gone We might not make it. The stakes are going to be huge. You know, he actually has the forethought to to send somebody out to recruit her and make sure that Gotham is protected. He's put the as as the best Batman stories do, and as the best versions of Batman do. He puts these the safety of his city above pretty much everything else, right? Right. Um, So, and he probably knows like time is of the essence. I got stuff to do. I'm probably not going to be the best person to get through to Huntress as efficiently as possible. So let's let Tim do it. That's that's kind of where I think Batman's head is at here. Yeah. Terrence?
1: I, I was kind of wondering, like, with this, like, well, why exactly is Tim the one to go talk to the Huntress? Um, other than maybe he won't violate that rule that he knows Nightwing is going to completely ignore. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> but... Um, it would be a very different ending to this book if it was Nightwing but um I the only thing I could think is that maybe because he's going to talk to Commissioner Gordon that he just couldn't be in two places at once um but it is this this is a weird time in the publication history for Huntress because there's always this thing and we saw this in like the the contagion where like Bruce doesn't um approve of her methods and and it's like why she's doing the exact same thing you're doing. Like, <laughs> like she's not that far off. Like, I, I, I never, as a reader of it, I never quite got what the whole deal was with the huntress and why Bruce never. Um, could tolerate her methods and I always was waiting for a backstory or a mini series or or something to give us more to it and they never really do. And then there was like a, a reboot and then there was the new fifty two and rebirth and all that stuff. And it never really came to fruition. So this for me this is always it's always odd how the huntress is and especially where she doesn't really play a role in the rest of the whole legacy kind of thing. Uh so I don't know. Maybe they were Thinking of setting her up for a mini series at the time. What they're doing is
2: I think what they're doing is they maybe they knew where they kinda wanted to go with No Man's Land. They're getting they're getting her into the position that that leads her into where she goes at the beginning of No Man's Land.
0: Yeah, that and it wouldn't be unlike I mean Dixon's by the time we get to No Man's Land, he doesn't get to complete that run but talk about setting things up. And Ryan had mentioned it before about the summit. You would think that all right we're gonna do this event, but our end goal is going to be no man's land. So they may have like reverse engineered getting to this. Like, oh we know we're gonna yeah. have a disease and we're gonna have this, you know, version two, but and we're going to have an earthquake, but we're going to have this big, massive, big story. So it could have been like Nightfall working backwards from, I think Dixon had talked uh, previously on episode 51 about how some of those summits went. So so any uh, last questions on Shadow of the Bat 53? Uh, oh, yeah,
1: <laughs> one thing, I, I just, this just hit me. Maybe the reason why Tim was the one sent to her was because of Robin 3 cry of the huntress. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So, yeah, so maybe that's why. Uh, anyway. All right. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> and the <laughs> no, showcase no.
0: issues, remember? Yeah. Yeah, we we had the showcase issue and then uh Sean and I did a Robin annual number 7 for his 80th anniversary from the Secret Wars podcast and uh that was a Huntress and Robin uh led story that um another one of those like oh Bruce is out of town and uh yeah so and that that just could have been part of the whole the whole history there like ah I don't want to talk to her. You go talk to her.
1: So, yeah. uh, let's... Or let's, it could just be he knew Nightwing would have sex with her and... Right, that, that's, yeah. that's possible.
0: Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I know we're making that as a joke, but if you've read No Man's Land, you kind of know that's coming, so... <laughs> or or oh. any other Nightwing book from...
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah, we'll get to it. Like I was like, reading Legacy, reading Detective 700, I'm like, is this where is this where the Nightwing butt thing kind of starts? Because there's yeah. some panels... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to jump the gun
1: here, but man, there's some panels in Detective, though, and like, is this
2: where this started? Right. Batman 533-533. Cover date, August
1: 1996. On sale date, June 12th, 1996. Cover price, $1.95. Page count, 32. The editor, the great Dennis J. O'Neill. Writer, Doug Munch. Penciler, Jim Aparo. Inker Bill Skowinski, letterer Todd Klein, colorist Gregory A. Wright, cover credits Kelly Jones. It's reprinted in the Batman Legacy Trade paperback and Legacy Volume 1, titled 12 Steps to the Heart of Hell. Bruce, Tim, and Dick are on their way to Sudan to find the cure for Ebola Gulf A virus. They change into their costumes and drop somewhere in the desert. Batman guided them through the desert until they find the entrance to the ruins they are seeking. They engage in combat with the people guarding the entrance and once they are inside they find 12 empty bottles. The bottles have symbols on them that represent the zodiac signs and on the bottom there are some lines carved. Batman put them in the zodiac order and then transcribes the lines in that same order. In the end the lines are showing some kind of a map. In Gotham City, the Penguin is planning to stir some chaos in the city by telling D.A. Vodder to announce a forced quarantine over the people who are infected by the virus. Commissioner Gordon feels that Vodder's announcement might end up bad, and Huntress tells him not to worry about that. She later goes to Voter's office, takes down his bodyguards in front of him, and tells him to say in his press conference that everything is under control. Batman, Nightwing, and Robin use the map to travel through the ruins. When they reach a dead end, Batman devises a way out by moving a big rock on the top of the roof. The three of them go out back to a deserted area, but this time they find a camp full of tents and heavy machinery. They try to sneak into that camp, but are soon discovered and surrounded by enemies. An elevator door opens and reveals three figures coming out of it. One of them is the mastermind that is looking at the same secret of the virus to turn it into a weapon. The three vigilantes are shocked by the sight of him. Dun dun dun.
0: Dun dun. Yeah. So, very cool. So, a little piece of a uh, trivia that I found on uh, DC fandom the writers use the zodiac signs to develop the main story, which I thought was really interesting. That's how they, you know, talk about reverse engineer that they went with that idea and figured out, oh, how can we use that? So just those two little page sequences is what made the whole entire story, which I thought that was really interesting. Uh, the quote on the page reads, when the world is pregnant with death, a secret long hidden will be revealed. Is actually from an anonymous writer. In fact, this isn't true. The original quote changes the word death for lies, and the author is Mark Mirablo, if I'm saying that right. Probably not. The writer specializes in secret societies and conspiracy theories, so I thought that was interesting that they wrote this. Doug Munch is like, it's an anonymous writer, but kind of Change that a little bit in that opening little uh, page there. So before we talk about it, I kind of let the cover go by, and uh, Terrence saved my butt the last time. Uh, The cover for 533, uh, Kelly Jones uh, does the cover here, which uh, the very long ears of Batman and uh, the scallops on the gauntlets are ever present on Kelly Jones's art. So that's a really cool image, and I love the red background of the bricks and the light kind of shining on it. What do you guys think of the cover of uh, 533, Terrence?
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. uh, Kelly Jones was the uh, regular artist at the time, so I guess Jim Apero was the fill-in here. It doesn't say guest penciler. This looks like kind of a random image though. They threw that little contagion secret society symbol on the brick wall, probably in the last minute to to tie it in. So I don't know if this had been just Something he had, something he'd been working on, just something, you know... I, it It's hard to believe that this was made specifically for this issue, but it, it might have been, who knows. But, you know, I love his covers going all the way back to all the, the Nightfall covers he did. So, yeah, this one's pretty awesome. Right. Yeah, it's just another cool, moody Kelly Jones cover.
2: The cool thing about this is is the red coloring, because you still retain Batman's blue, but it's got this red sheen all, all mm-hmm. over, over the whole thing. And the... um. The red spotlight, I mean, it almost reminds me of the opening of the Batman 66 movie where they just have all the different colored spotlights and circles kind of going over the characters. It's kind of echoes back to that to me. But, um, but that's, but, but Kelly Jones, I mean, that's what he does. Like he works in a lot of shadow and negative space and his Batman is always like constructed of just a bunch of negative space. So I think it's, it's a pretty cool cover.
0: So, uh, getting into some of the questions here, uh, Tim references that the year 2000 is approaching, and could all these (laughs) prophecies be millennial doom? Fast forward uh, 26 years and look at us now. Thoughts? I mean, we've already kind of said it before, but again, talk about, Ryan said, the really good books are of their time, and it's really weird and eerie, I guess, that this book is of its time and of a time yet to come, so... You know, reading this is was just really kind of odd. Did you guys? I mean, we've been saying it before, but did you have that same thought of like, wow, I just, I just saw this on a news report?
2: Yeah, it, I mean, this around that page is where I'm like, man, these are these are like heightened versions of of or comic book eyesed versions of conversations that people are having now what's cool what What was kind of cool and stood out to me was when bruce says something like you know everything comes to an end even worlds i'm like oh man is that uh-huh. some kind of latent like like does this batman remember like crises and stuff like that i'm like is, is, mm-hmm. is he talking about that like or i mean what's i'm like i want to know more about that what is what's bruce thinking about when he's talking about that it kind of implies a lot any thoughts there terrence
1: yeah, it's kind of weird because they don't usually reference dates or things like that. They try right. to keep these kind of timeless. That kind of threw me a little bit, and I know Ryan might have been too young to know this, but around the turn of the century, there was a lot of, like, doom and gloom of, like, Y2K. Oh, I remember Y2K yeah. very, very Okay, yeah, yeah. so th- there was a lot of that going on, and um, the art... I wanted to talk about the art too especially in these panels cuz I know you had written yeah. in the notes is this Neil Adams? I don't remember Jim Aparo like be, ever being inked by Bill Skowinski or Skowinski if I said his name right but you Sinkovich. can tell Stinkovich is that how you say it? Sinkovich. S- Sinkovich? Sorry, sorry Bill. You could see how different his art looks with a different inker cuz I always it was like Aparo and, Di- and DiCarlo for so long in the Batman books but, yeah, especially that one t- scene on page three when they're all, like, ripping open their shirts to show their costumes underneath. I mean, that that is so Neil Adams. Yeah.
0: As I was just reading this, I was like, huh, I didn't know Neil Adams did this. I'm like, well, this wouldn't have been <laughs> Neil Adams' art at the time. And then to see it's Aparo, I'm like, is this at a latter stage? Because I know he would go on. I had pulled up his wiki he, here. His yeah, last it was 33 three issues, right? He had just done
2: Batman yeah, and then. This 100. is
0: also that year. Aparo was given regular series. His last regular series assignment is Pencil for Green Arrow. Yeah, uh, going for eighty and one hundred. So I'd like to look at some point. You know, after the show, obviously, and look at what his art was like during this. So I know sometimes yeah. you can get an inker that really alters the artist's look. Sometimes, but I don't know if it's hand in hand. If Aparo was. Because they were saying we last time we talked to uh, Chuck that Nightfall was going to be a Paro's like swan song, if you will, like his almost his yeah. retirement type of thing. So
2: yeah. I think he came back and did another fill-in issue in No Man's Land or something. Yeah, later on too right. Yeah, I mean it. This looks almost like kind of the like maybe both of those things working together, right? Like like oh, he's a couple years older and Sienkiewicz's art itself too is pretty stylized right so like i think both of those things probably work together to make a very different looking jim Apero art compared to
0: what you would seen just a few years earlier yeah and speaking of the whole plane thing i like that uh as they're like terrence said they're revealing their costumes they're suiting up and they're jumping out of the plane and bruce is just gonna let it crash like we're gonna ditch the plane he's got money you know (laughs) Nightwing makes that comment about, you know, it's going to be more expensive to fly first class on the way back home. You know, thought that was uh, kind of funny. The sense of family, I think, is really strong during this time. Batman has partners for a reason, and that is a huge part of his world. Today, it's kind of a, a byproduct. He's got this big family, but they only show up for, like, the big bombastic things. So why do you guys think this still resonates, reading this book 26 years later, Batman's use of the Bat family is that something that we're sorely missing now or is that just that's just how things are Uh, Ryan
2: I don't know I mean I, I think it definitely adds some level of spectacle you know when when it's done that way Parents?
1: You know, it's it's kind of funny to read it too because you think like, well, where's Jason and Damien during all this? And it's Jason's like, dead. Oh, yeah, Jason's yeah. dead, and Damian doesn't exist he does yet. Kind of, kind of reminds me he's it.
2: in a test tube somewhere.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah, it does give like a heightened sense of like, well, this is a this is a really serious mission if if everybody's involved. They do work really good together as a team. So yeah, uh, it's a really fun era of the comics to read this year. Uh, without Damien and and Jason as part of it in the background, and
0: the immortal is mentioned a couple times into this. Did you, now this was something that Terrence and I were saying off mic before you joined the call, Ryan. And I'm trying to remember did did we know that it was going to be racial ghoul right from the start, or was this kind of no kind of hidden? So no, you're not supposed to know it's Racial
2: Ghoul until you open up Detective 700 and see boom, it's Racial Ghoul. Like they even like. At the end of this issue they don't even tell you what it is. It's like, right. "Oh, they hint at it. The immortal the immortal he's a hidden thing. He's you know, they they say everything except it's Rachel Ghoul, you know. Like I don't know like if they look back at the solicitations back in the day like if if it said like in the description of the book like, "Oh, it's Rachel Ghoul," but you know, of course if you see the cover of Legacy of Detective 700, you know who it is, but and you could probably guess it just reading it, but uh, but in story wise, I think you're supposed to be surprised, mm-hmm. both by it being racial goal and the end that Bane is
0: involved. Also, I think I picked up more on it. Like, okay, immortal. Like, there's really only one person that can be. And I forgot to mention it's not till 700 really, but this is the first time that Tim Drake comes into contact with Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. Uh, he's he- he's heard about Raish but seeing face to face, which I thought, being a Tim Drake fan, that was pretty cool that he's heard about this character. And it's it's you know later mentioned like, oh, is that who that is? So I thought that was a cool moment for Tim getting to see and witness you know who this person is that he's probably heard so much about. I did like the the bat signal being lit by Helena, and you get a little quick glimpse of Harvey Bullock, like, hey, why is the bat signal lit? And Gordon's like, I didn't light it. Terrence was saying that we kind of feel like, oh, you shouldn't be working with uh, the Huntress. Even Commissioner Gordon has that, like, oh, you're, you're second-rate. Is, is the Huntress a second-rate character in the Batman universe, Terrence?
1: Kind of, especially to, like... I think to like commissioner gordon or like the gcpd or or people like that they would think of her a second rate i don't think she thinks of herself a second rate and i don't think uh tim drake thinks of her a second rate which is probably why he was the one sent to go talk to her and all that but i do definitely think there are people in gotham who like hmm you bring second stringers are in you know backup quarterback yeah so yeah yeah ryan i mean i think the the
2: uh, a better word might be contentious I think, and, and that's part of her character, that's part of what makes her interesting, is that she is she's deliberately set apart from the Bat family, and has come into, like, she has an uneasy alliance with, with them in terms of her vigilante style and stuff like that, you know, Batman is the classic, like, you can be a vigilante in Gotham, and only if you do it my way, only if I allow it in my <laughs> city, Right? You know, so it it just it's opened a lot of uh, interesting storytelling possibilities here, and and it does provide some extra conflict with with the characters. So I think it's not that she's a second stringer per se, but it's that she's you know one step removed from the Bat Family, and, and you know with everything that's happened with nightfall and having to deal with a different batman and another batman with with dick grayson and then batman coming back it makes sense that gordon would be like oh what are we doing now (laughs) yeah you know
0: (laughs) and who the heck are you (laughs) getting to one of the the last little beats of the book uh, we talked about the zodiac symbols are a nice touch to be the the catalyst for the main story but i liked how they were writing this that you got to figure out how the Zodiac symbols were working and the etchings on the bottom of the glass. And we were talking about Catwoman feeling like Tomb Raider. This feels like in in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of a Lost Ark thing where they're going through the cavern and figuring out all the symbols and then it dovetailing. So if you read the Catwoman issues and you started seeing the rock landslide, like that landslide was caused by Catwoman. So now we're, you know, Batman is literally following in the steps of Catwoman, and they don't realize that yet, which I thought that was cool. And they get about sucked down into the uh, the quicksand, and uh, you know, sneak it across the desert, which I thought was kind of cool. And then to have the security lights be put on them, and as Terrence said, dun dun dun, you know, who is it? So they were able to kind of keep this a secret. I think by at least this last panel you would probably be able to draw conclusions to figuring out oh, look i wonder who this is so i don't i don't think i would have ever thought it was bane but i think just hearing like we were talking it being the you know the immortal like that's probably raish. so this would have been a long month to go i wonder who that is and knowing that issue 700 is right around the corner. So before we jump to seven hundred, uh, any final thoughts on on how this ended, and if you would have guessed this was Rachel Ghoul from the onset? Let's start with Ryan on this one.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I remember reading it as a kid and being surprised, right, when it was Rachel Ghoul. But it, like I said, if I had if I had more wide ranging knowledge of all the characters at the time, I think I would have figured it out, you know. But it's cool to read it and get there and. I remember thinking the art in this issue was like, "Oh, this isn't like this is weird. It's it's not like all the other art." And but now you know, obviously being a big fan of Jim Apparo, it's and and knowing that the artwork is not exactly you know pristine Jim Apparo or whatever, it's actually in my opinion it's really it's a really interesting issue to look at just to see his art style at this at this juncture. And the coloring is really cool and really interesting. And it's still kind of, it fits the issue. It's moody, you know? I mean, I think there's a lot of cool issues.
1: And it's cool to see Batman be a detective, too. I had a question for you. It's a 13-part question that I'm going to do in song <laughs> format. Now, um, is this issue in the trade paperback before 700? Or does the trade paperback start with 700? Or does it start with Shadow of the Bat 53?
0: Now, the, the trade paperback that I'm reading out of the 2017 version starts with um, the the lockup issue and, and ends with 700. The version that Ryan has, I think,
1: had one prelude issue being Batman 533. Okay, because my thought was that this dovetails very, very nicely in a 700, and they're really cool to just read back-to-back, back. and... Whoever said I think it was you said it was it's like the Indiana Jones movie. It it is has that feel and it's pretty awesome. Thanks for listening to Robin.
0: Everyone loves the Drake podcast. This has been brought to you by the Batman Universe.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, so no infringement is intended by this show. The show is not a good revenue stream. Actually, there's not a stream at all. All music and sound clips are under copyright by their respected copyright holders. So there should be no need to send the Penguin's lawyers after us for ill-gotten gains because there are none. You can get a hold of the show a few different ways. We are on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. You can also email in at Robin ELTD Podcast at Yahoo.com. Our Facebook page can be found at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. And as always, you can message directly over at the Batman Universe.net. So email, tweet, or message us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll read your comments or responses on the show. The show you're listening to can be found a few different ways through iTunes and Windows Media or also over at our host tbu leave us a review on itunes if you listen there it'll help spread the word of the show make sure you head over to the batmanuniverse.net your home for all things batman and robin thanks for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the drake we'll see you in a few weeks take care